and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Hi, I am Carolina Tuot, and this is the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where I interview accomplished engineering leaders every other week. Today, I have another accomplished guest. His name is Max Rodman, and he has quite the career ladder behind him. He started as individual contributor, worked his way up to founder, and now he is working as a CEO. I had quite the awesome conversation with him, and I hope you will enjoy it as well. Please allow me to welcome Max Rodman. Thank you so much, Carolina. Great to be here. I am glad you could join us. You have quite the career development behind you. But before we get into today's topic, please tell us a bit about yourself, what you like to do in your free time and what you do professionally. Sure. As I said, thanks again for having me on the show. So my name is Max Rudman. I am actually originally from from Russia, um, uh, although I've been here quite quite a long time. I came here when I was sixteen, so spend most of my time most of my time here. In fact, in in Silicon Valley, and um, you know, I am an engineer by training, um, if you will. I went to school in. Um, School called the University of Puget Sound in, in Pacific Northwest. It was a small liberal arts and science school, and actually quite good now. It's uh, it's apparently it's a lot better now uh, you know, than it was when I was there. But I, I certainly enjoyed my time there, and it was a, it was a great liberal arts education that I received. Um, studied in computer science, uh, so that was my major and, and minor in business, and. Um, you know, of course, since then I've gone on to um, to hold various engineering positions, as um, as you've seen, and then ended up founding my first startup called Steelbrick, which built a configure price quote uh, solution on the Salesforce platform. Configure price quote for those of you who don't know, it's it's a category of business software that enables um, complex selling um, for businesses, right? So you know, if you're selling, you know loaves of bread at a bakery you probably don't need cpq but if you're you know dell or somebody like that selling let's say servers you know that's a kind of a complex sale where you know you have configuration needs right certain components of a server require other components of a server and certain components are mutually exclusive um, so that's what's called a configurator. You know, then as you can imagine, the pricing is quite complex. You sell for different channels and, you know, resellers or direct, the price is different. Or when you buy one server, the price is different than when you buy a thousand servers. That's the P in CPQ. And then, of course, generating the, the nice looking document that you can send to your customer, to your prospect um, is the Q. And so that was a, you know, good, um, good outcome for us and our investors and frankly, maybe even the best outcome for Salesforce. Uh, we came in with 15 million in revenue in 2006, so AR to be, to be exact, and it's now pushing, it's close to a billion dollar business with Salesforce. So everybody's done really nicely with it. Wow. And, and Steelbrick is where I uh, sort of first experienced the problem that we're now solving with Broadly, which is, 
you know, it's really difficult and time consuming and tedious to um, deploy configuration changes between Salesforce environments. And, and you know, literally used to take our most experienced solution architect at Steelbrick the entire weekend to do these deployments. And we, um, I got together with my brother, my little brother, who is also an engineer, and you know, we built an app. We built an app, brother, and and uh, and then once I uh, left Salesforce, following the acquisition, you know, we we sort of came back to Broadly and been building it ever since. And what I like to do in the outside of work, well, there's not a lot of time that I have outside of work. Uh, being an entrepreneur and a founder, you kind of think about the business, even though you may not be working all the time, you certainly think about it all the time. Um, but I, uh, I guess I'm a, what you call a hedonist. I like, I like food, I like travel. Um, and um, that's what I enjoy. I enjoy, I like cooking. So that's, those are my hobbies and what I, what I like to do in the, in the off time spent with them. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing with us. And with that said, oh, we can get into today's topic, which is, I think, a very exciting thing for our listeners, which is software engineering career development. As you mentioned, you started as an individual contributor and worked your way up pretty quickly to founding your own company and then now uh, being the chief executive officer of another company. So could you tell us a bit about I think the hardest step to begin with, how did you decide to go from IC and then to director of engineering and then to founding your own company? Yeah, great question. You know, I, I wish it was, I can't really say it was, you know, a conscious decision and, you know, it's not like I said, well, you know, I want to be a founder and I'm going to, you know, find my way to work, you know, to work up the, the career ladder, you know, as these things happen, you know, it was a bit by accident. I, my, my second job out of college, um, maybe even you can call it the first job was for uh, a dot com. Uh, that's what, that's what they call internet companies back in late nineties, early two thousands. And, you know, that's where I caught the entrepreneurial bug, you know, and so I'm like, ah, you know, this is, this is really cool. And I was literally like the first or the second engineer um, on the team and kind of, I found it just really exhilarating, you know, working on the product and sort of trying to find product market fit. And, you know, we had an idea, you know, an afternoon and then, you know, depending on what it was by next day, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd code it or, you know, maybe it took a week or whatever, but just this really fast pace of innovation and iteration and putting things out there. And, you know, I just really, I really loved it. Um, in fact, I, I've never really worked for a big company in my life. I mean, other than three years I spent at Salesforce, you know, following the acquisition and that just reinforced my belief that, you know, I'm, I'm born for startups and, and sort of the early stage companies. So are there any key decisions that you can point us to in retrospect um, when you decided, okay, I'm going to turn from my director of engineering position to creating something on my own? Yeah, I mean, again, I know it was like a conscious decision, but, you know, the director of engineering position you're referring to, that was at that startup, you know, we as, as we grew and sort of acquired other companies, you know, I ended up, you know, running, running an engineering team. And I mean, to be honest with you, I am not really 
sure sort of like engineering management quote unquote or you know certainly the first first level of it is is for me you know um either you know i'm not not like a particularly good manager you know as far as kind of you know managing the individual contributors i think it's a different skill set believe it or not you know a different job than 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 running company right so the, the leadership aspect is certainly I'm certainly consistent and constant, but, you know, I think some of the other, you know, skills and, and, and sort of the personality traits that you need to be the, the first line manager, engineering or otherwise, are a little bit different than, than being a founder. Um, but that was just sort of the natural progression of my career. You know, as I said, having been there early on, you know, and the team, have, you know, having grown, I, I ended up um, taking on those responsibilities. Um, and then I, you know, when I left, I left um, that company, you know, I said I sort of caught the entrepreneurial bug there and, you know, I was determined to, to start my, my own company. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and so, um, actually, it's kind of a cool story how I came up with the name of, of Steel Brick. It's a, it's a bit of a lore and legend. It, you know, I, um, you know, this was obviously the early 2000s and so, you know, having an online presence was was a key component of the go-to-market even then and so i wanted to make sure i had you know the domain name was available um and so you know being the engineer that i am i sort of took a very scientific approach to naming the company i put together a spreadsheet i had a whole bunch of adjectives in one column and nouns in another and i wrote a macro that put together every possible combination of them and i just kept pasting it in the in the mass domain name checker and so I think Yellow Brick came out of that. And um, but you know I had some buddies who, who, who ran um, an ad agency, and so they, they suggested Steel Brick, you know, kind of strong, you know, and strong, flexible technology. And they did my uh, original identity back in the day. So that's how I ended up with uh, Steel Brick. I love that. Thank you so much. Yeah, and so but and, and where I was going with this is you know I really had no clue what I was going to do. Like this was way before. You know, we settled on fell into CPQ is maybe a better um, a better way to describe it. So I had no idea. I had some ideas, but I really didn't know what the company was going to do. So the name couldn't be, you know, lead manager or you know anything specific because I had no idea what what, what we're going to do. But I had some good ideas, you know, and I um, actually both of them both of them turned out to be pretty good pretty good categories. So one of my ideas was to do a lead management software, you know, kind of what you would call marketing automation now, you know. And then the other was to do online surveys, which, you know, also turned out to be a, a pretty, pretty big, pretty big category of software. So um, good ideas, but I had no idea how to execute on them, certainly from the go-to-market standpoint. And so it took me a, a few years of thrashing around to fall into the nascent Salesforce ecosystem. So this was back in 2006, 2007, when they just started out with their platform vision and sort of pivoted, not pivoted, but, you know, extended their, you know, CRM, you know, Salesforce automation vision to become um, an enterprise platform. And it was one of the very early ISVs that they recruited to build apps on the Salesforce platform. And, you know, obviously, as I said, that's worked out pretty well. Awesome. Awesome. Um, with that said, could you point us to some of the hard skills or soft skills that you think were essential for you to be successful in this transition from engineer to founder? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously having, you know, 
the the technology chops you know uh was really important and, and by, by the way like i you know i think it's certainly one path you know i i think it's sort of well accepted you know wisdom that you know there's kind of two types of founders right and there's product guys that come from the product quote unquote whether it's engineers or, or the product folks the product management and and kind of the business you know the sales and marketing and i think there's nothing wrong with either of those but you know obviously coming having come from the product side you know i was able to accomplish things that i probably wouldn't be able to do if i didn't have the engineering background specifically you know for the first well, several years of steel brick you know i bootstrapped it Me meaning that you know i didn't have any outside investment and we, we actually got to over a million dollars of ar uh, and 150 customers but really just with me you know and and i was able to do that because of course i i could code and i built literally literally built you know with my own hands the the product mm -hmm. and you know so i think th these are probably some hard skills yeah um, soft skills you know i think obviously you know having to do go to market and having to not only build it but market it and sell it you know i had to i had to learn some things that didn't maybe come naturally to me you know and sort of communication skills and you know and kind of schmoozing with the salesforce reps early on you know to get to get referrals to deals you know these are the things that i i don't sort of naturally enjoy um maybe still don't naturally enjoy but i had to i had to learn how to do um but perhaps most important of all is you know the mindset right you just gotta want it and you gotta be like the perseverance and and um is probably one of the most important mindsets in in entrepreneurship and and you know you just gotta keep at it right it almost sounds like your initial mindset was that you wanted to build something and then it kind of takes a lot of resilience. I certainly know I used to be a salesperson, so you have to be able to take a lot of no's before you get to a yes. And I don't think you can do that if you don't have kind of the vision of uh, becoming successful at the end. And I think that's kind of what you're referring to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, perseverance, resilience is certainly a big part of it. Vision is, you know, unlike, you know, obviously you can sort of relate to this, you know, having having done sales. Uh, by the way, I think it is the hardest job in the world, you know, despite what people may think. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's that. Plus, you know, there's just these, as I said, you know, the entrepreneurial journey is the, the highest of highs, the lows of lows. And so just that kind of an emotional roller coaster. You know, you gotta you gotta have the uh, the emotional resilience, I guess, to, to deal with all of that. And, and um, so, you know, as your listeners are thinking about getting into getting into uh, entrepreneurship and starting that journey, you know, those certainly are the things that I would you know flag and and you know challenge them to think hard about and see if they're if they're cut out for it. Following on that same uh, train of thought. Were there any opportunities? A lot of times people hear that uh, entrepreneurs have to say yes to a lot of things that they don't want to say yes to. On the other hand, you also a lot of times hear that uh, one of the first things that they have to learn is saying no to the opportunities that aren't fit for them. Can you kind of flag some of the pointers that helped you decide what opportunities to take and what opportunities to turn down? 
Yeah, it's a really good question, and you're absolutely right. Um, it's actually, a, I would even say this this kind of applies to product management. You know, I'm not sure it's it's um, necessarily a feature of entrepreneurship. You know, although certainly that that highlights and makes those uh, decisions more acute. But you know, in product management, that's the same the same problem where you actually have to say no to a lot more things than you say yes to. And and you know how you decide that. I mean, I don't think there's any kind of hard and fast rules, but. But, but, you know, I think um, as far as entrepreneurship and, and building a company, building a startup, you know, it's really all about focus and you got to decide on, you know, what what are you focusing on, right? What kind of customer, what kind of problem uh, you really want to focus on solving and, and what, what that problem is, you know, obviously I can't tell you and, and, you know, which part of the problem to focus on depends on sort of the market and competitive dynamics and who's doing what and, and where you see the biggest opportunity to differentiate your solution. Um, but I think it's it's super important to to focus on the earlier in your journey you are as a startup, the more important it is to focus, right? Because your resources are are most limited. Right. So if we were to put together kind of like a, a workbook for our listeners, what I hear you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you have to have this kind of drive. Um, to to create something on your own and and you have to have a strong belief of um, where you're going and whatever you're doing is going to succeed. And then you also point out some uh, perhaps not too common traits for software engineers like communications and uh, schmoozing with um, possible clients. And also um, what you just said um, about focus uh, really really struck me as something that we could maybe unfold a little more if you find found your own company then then you have to early on decide what your most favorite subjects are or or what your north star is and um, I guess you can't really take on any new, ventures that are not in direct line with your with your focused object yeah exactly exactly i think you know just to recap you know certainly the hard skills you know the expertise is is important but i imagine most of your listeners have that in spades but then you know starting a business and being a founder requires you to go outside of your comfort zone in, in a lot of cases and you know I think for most technical people, it's sort of the sales, it's the networking, right? It's 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 um, all all the go to market activities uh, that you have to you have to take on, and and I think there's really a lot of good advice on the internet about this, but I like, absolutely agree with you know the ones that I've seen that you know really highlight the importance of founders. You know, getting outside of the comfort zone, and if you're a technical founder, if you're a product founder, you know. Um, learning about you know sales learning about marketing because early on really is nobody that can do that for you right you can't outsource these things um so so that's important and then you know of course yeah the mindset the drive the resilience you know the perseverance um the emotional stability if you will that's going to be required you know to kind of go through all the ups and downs um and and focus absolutely right and yeah, I think there's always going to be opportunities coming at you, and and so 
really staying true to your mission. I always found it helpful to sort of articulate the mission and kind of what we're all about. And certainly, like I'll give an example at Broadly, you know, our mission is to make business software faster and easier to deploy and maintain. And so that's kind of our guiding principle, our uh, North Star, when we decide about, you know, what do we work on? What do we not work on? You know, um, that's the first test. And then even if something does pass that test, you know, is now the right time to work on that or can that can that wait? Right. Keeping with the team, um, how did you juggle in the beginning? You mentioned that you worked on a lot of things by yourself and you also mentioned um learning some new skills like marketing and product management um how did you how did you juggle kind of all of those hats and and um how did you decide when to take off your sales hat and put on your software developer hat you know i was a lot of long hours um you know, I literally worked all the time. I remember, you know, my wife was, you know, pregnant with her first child and like, her water broke. And I was, you know, I was, in a, I was in a sales call. I'm like, honey, you wait, you know, we're going to finish this call. We're going to go to the hospital, you know. Um, they didn't buy and that was very upsetting to me. Um, but so there was a lot of that, you know. Uh, but like in a lot of, in a lot of, in some ways it's really hard, right? Because you only have so many hours in the day, so many hours in the week. Uh, it was a lot of long hours, but in some ways, especially about the part that you mentioned uh, last about sort of when to take one hat off, when to put another, it was easier, right? Because the most efficient team is the team of one, right? It's not the most productive, but but it is the most efficient. You know, there's zero miscommunication, there's zero overhead, right? In terms of um, in terms of getting everybody on the same page, so. I literally was like, hey, I do a demo for a prospect and they ask for, well, can you do this? Can you do that? You know, and I'm like, okay. And then, well, yes, we can do this, but we can do that. And then is that within the wheelhouse of what we're doing, right? Does that fit where I want to take the product? You know, does that pass the, those two tests? And then and I would just go and bang it out. You know, I put up my engineering ad and, and bang out the code. And, and um, you know, two days, three days later, I'll, you know, show it to them and say, yeah, this is, this is, this is, this will, we, we have this now, right? We could do that because Salesforce platform sort of being, you know, boss platform as a service in the cloud and, you know, um, was really productive environment to be, to be working in, frankly, it was a lot of quirks and, you know, I came in um, as a Java developer and so uh, the Salesforce's language called Apex is actually modeled on Java. So it was a lot of similarities. So it was a lot of, you know, um, gotchas and and a lot of limitations in this platform but it was really actually really very productive right because you didn't you could literally you know create you know it was all declarative right you can create tables and, and data model declaratively you could you know design the ui at least the basic the basic forms you know through through a point and click um uh, UI builder that they had. So it was actually quite productive, especially for, you know, somebody like me, you know, getting started and sort of doing the selling and the building, you know, um, I really could deliver the features very quickly. That's very insightful. So when you, when you went to, to Salesforce and, um, you, you kind of merged into the company and as you mentioned, you worked there for three years, did you always think that you will Go. You will leave after after a certain oh, yeah. amount of time. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, this 
the time I spent at Salesforce, you know, I really enjoyed it. It's actually a great company. And I, as I said, I haven't really worked at any other big companies, so it's sort of difficult for me to, to compare. But from what I hear, it's actually quite, quite nice and quite efficient. And the culture, you know, was really great. And, and uh, you know, Salesforce was a number of years ago. Uh, but I always knew that, you know, this wasn't my final stop because, again, you know, I think you just know, right? There's some people who are builders and that's me. And then there's some people who are kind of scalers, you know, and uh, tweakers, if you will. And, and there's nothing wrong with either, right? You need both. But I think the most important thing is you, you got to know what, what you're good at and where your passion lies and, and do the right thing, you know. So I, yeah, I always knew that Salesforce was going to be a temporary stop. Right. I was going to go do the startup. Right. So your calling is really the leadership of a company, it sounds like. Can you tell us if you are at all close to like the technical side of things still, or if you kind of let go of that? over the years of building companies. Yeah, and by the way, one thing I will say, you know, maybe just to correct you a little bit, like, I don't think it's about leadership, right? Like you can be a leader at Salesforce, you can be a leader at General Motors, you can be a leader anywhere, right? In fact, I would even say, you know, if you're an executive at a large company, that actually requires more leadership skills than, you know, as a founder, you know, as an early stage founder, right? Just because of the scale of the problem that you're dealing with, the number of people that you have, right? And the, you know, and getting everybody on the same page and getting everybody rowing in the same direction, right? That's what leadership is all about. And, and uh, the scale of that problem is much greater at a large company. So it's not about being a leader or not being a leader. Um, to me, it's, you know, it's about impact, right? And as I said, you know, you can sort of be close to your customers, you know, you can, you know, the agility that you experience in the startup of, you know, having an idea one day and then, you know, executing on it several days or a couple of weeks later, you know, not having to go through, you know, massive layers of approvals, right? That's, that's where startups excel. Um, I don't think it's about leadership or no leadership. No, just, just, just to be clear, like you, you, if, if, if you want to be a leader, there's plenty of opportunities to be a leader. Uh, you don't need to have a startup for that. Um, and um, yeah, so hopefully, hopefully that makes sense. Your calling is really building new things. Yeah, exactly. It, exactly. It's about building. And I think re really, I would even say it's about agility, right? Because, you know, you can be building things at, you know, at Salesforce and, and Google and large companies as well. I think, you know, it really has to do more with the experience of building, you know, and how quickly you can go from idea to, um, to delivery and, and, you know, the, the, the overhead, the approvals, the red tape that it takes to go from point A to point B is where I think the biggest difference lies between the startup and, and a large company. So how close are you to um, software engineering or the technical side of building a product? I mean, now like I don't, I don't code now, but I'm still, I'm still pretty, pretty close. In fact, you know, I'm kind of running, running product right now. Um, you know, we don't have a product leader at the moment, so I'm sort of playing, wearing both hats, CEO and and head of product, and I really, I really love it. You know, uh, I think again, like that's that's the. That's the feeling, you know, that's the, the engagement and being into the weeds and, and, you know, not only just 
having endless, you know, review meetings, but, you know, actually seeing the fruits of that and, you know, and pretty quickly is, is what, what excites me, what, what drives me. And so I, luckily I get, I get to experience a lot of that still, even though I don't actually write the code anymore. In your opinion, could all or any software engineer become the CEO of a company? First of all, I would say, um, and we, we tell this to our engineers, you know, all day, every day, right? I think with engineering and maybe other fields, but certainly with engineering, I don't think it's a given that you want to be that or you have to be um, um, a founder, certainly a founder, but even a manager, right? In engineering, you actually do have two distinct career ladders, the technical ladder, so kind of becoming an architect, you know, and then you have the managerial ladder. Um, and I think what we always tell people is, you know, um, do an introspective, you know, and look into your, your skills. And like, it goes back to those soft skills, right? Do you really want to be a manager? Right? do you want to, do you enjoy, you know, working with people, you know, do you enjoy working through people problems, right? As opposed to technical problems and they're very different problems. Uh, and, you know, and, and many, in my experience, many engineers neither want to, nor, nor can they. Um, so to answer your question, you know, I think like everybody can probably overcome and, and compensate, you know, for, um, you know, for the deficiencies that they have to, to, to become a manager or founder if they set their heart on it. But, you know, I would just again challenge your listeners to really think about, you know, what is it that you want to be doing and what is it that you're good at and where can you get that? And I think, you know, there's lots of lots of ways to arrive at the, at the same destination and, and founding your own company and becoming a founder is one of them. And, you know, that certainly takes a lot of other skills and and you know, and, um, and personality traits than, than just being a good engineer. You said that um, it starts with an introspective kind of. Um, what advice would you give to our listeners if they are software engineers, individual contributors, and they think, okay, now I feel like I am ready for the next phase of my career and I want to become a manager, for example? First thing I encourage your readers, uh, listeners, is to think about, right, like, what, what do you really want, right? If you want to earn more money, there's lots of ways to do that. You don't, have, you don't necessarily have to become a manager. Um, obviously, you know, I will admit that at a certain point, you know, the technical career path probably, you know, uh, tops out, you know, the certain earning potential, you know, like you can be, you know, a very highly paid, you know, architect and, you know, or maybe like consultant or something like that but you know there's probably a ceiling to how much you can earn you know um but that said you know it's, it's pretty high right and so i think the first thing i'd encourage you listeners to think about is, is which path which ladder they want to climb if they really do have the aptitude for uh the managerial ladder and it's not just about the money they really do you know enjoy working with people they really do enjoy solving the problems they really do enjoy you know communication they really do enjoy getting everybody on the same page um, then, you know, I think probably getting some training, you know, like some managerial training. And obviously this, uh, these days there's lots of resources available. You don't have to go to a seminar or a class, you know, there's online courses like Udemy and, and others that, you know, provide that kind of training and uh, maybe get a mentor. You know, I think somebody who's, 
been there, done that. We can sort of guide you and help you, you know, work through problems and work through issues um, that will inevitably arise. I think one of the most important things sometimes is for you to see that it can be done and, um, and the mentor is great at that. In keeping with that theme, if somebody is a manager, what challenges would you make them aware of if they want to start their own company? I think becoming a founder is probably an even bigger leap than becoming a manager. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, what I always, what I always think about this, right? People are messy, you know, and then and sort of coming from the engineering background, right? You can always fix a bug in code and it's pretty straightforward. Uh, people are not so straightforward, right? They're not computers. Uh, sometimes I wish they were. So it really is, you know, a difficult problem um, to solve. And so you need to have the aptitude for it um, and the patience um, and really the desire. Uh, and as you get into the founders, I mean, that the problem is just compound, right? It's not the engineering team that you have to deal with. It's, it's all kinds of people. And, you know, and like, as you, as you, as you start to run the company, right, you have all kinds of people reporting to you. Some are with the engineering mindset, some are not. And so the problems compound. Um, and then of course you also have to, um, the problems compound both on sort of the people management side, but they also compound on, on the expertise side, right? You have to, if you're an engineer, it's no longer about being good technically and, and finding technical solutions to problems, right? You now have to, as I said, you know, have some sort of expertise, you know, so some base life and understanding, and hopefully it's more than that about sales, marketing, you know, finance, HR, so you can, you know, properly manage and lead those people, even if you have somebody in, in those functions, um, which you don't early on, right? So like, you kind of have to do a lot of that yourself very early on, but, you you know, as you get, you know, as you get leaders put into those positions, you still have to sort of know enough about it and, you know, have some base level of understanding to be able to, to manage them and have, have, a, have a conversation um, and direct them. Now we have kind of like a more holistic view of how you've come to where you are and you, you kind of make it sound quite straightforward, to be honest. Could you tell us a little bit about what kind of challenges you face these days or like what do you think are st still some areas where you want to become better or or uh, more experienced <laughs> oh there's every area i want to become better in and so like i'm you know i hope i'm not coming across as the know-it-all and done it all i you know i think there's always there's always room for improvement right and no matter where you are and, and by the way i think it sort of like gets exponentially harder right the 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 bigger the company and um and um the more the more people you have uh, reporting to you in the organization so um, by no means is it you know a one-off um, sort of a learning experience it's it's constant it's ongoing um, and so you know what I would say is um, you know I, what, I, what I like to do is you know just obviously with the internet and you know the web there's lots of content out there you know and so I always I always I read a lot, you know, I was trying to kind of, you know, study up on the subject 
And um, I mean, that's the good news, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of advice, um, both bad and and good. Right? So that's the other kind of challenge with it now. You know, you gotta you gotta you gotta separate um, the wheat from the chaff here. But um, you know, there's a lot of content out there, a lot of help, and so I think. You know, just if, if you really have your mindset on becoming a founder and and um, and running a company, you can just uh, there's lots of lots of help out there, lots of lots of resources. But you know, there's there's a will, there's a way. Be open and uh, be careful. Okay, and and if we go on with that train of thought, what kind of legacy do you hope to leave in terms of engineering culture or in terms of the products uh, that you're building? I'll start with you with the second part of your question first. Uh, now, as I said, our mission is to make business software faster and easier to deploy, um, to implement, and maintain. And, you know, I think that's kind of the product legacy we hope to leave uh, behind is that you know, business software becomes a lot easier to use, and 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 a more joyous and productive productive experience for um, for the people who are tasked with maintaining these business applications. Um, and you know, the culture. It's an interesting question. There's obviously no right or wrong answer on it. You know, and I would broaden it sort of outside of engineering culture, um, just culture in general. Um, what I'm hoping um, that we're building, and I think there's some signs that we are in the right track, which makes me very happy, is that we're building you know, an open and transparent and, and high-performing culture. Um, certainly, the, the open and transparent part, um, I think, is happening. And, and you know, um, I recently had an experience where some, some people sort of came to me, you know, from not my direct reports, but, you know, from a couple of hours down and kind of brought a problem to me and, and, you know, got me on the Zoom and, you know, we, we talked it out. And so, you know, um, on one hand, it was more problems to solve, but on the other hand, I was really pleased that they felt empowered and um, safe enough to, you know, to essentially go above their immediate manager and talk to the CEO and, and discuss, voice their displeasure about the things that, you know, uh, that were happening in that particular team and, and, you know, bring some solutions to the table. So that's, that's the kind of culture you want to have um, in engineering, in R&D and otherwise. How do you think you contributed to achieving that culture? Because you say, you know, like they were comfortable enough to come to you, but what are some of the things that you think you did in order for them to to feel that way? Well, I think uh, transparency uh, is probably one ingredient of that. Um, you know, we're fairly transparent in how we run the company and, you know, and very you know, up and down the org. There's very little information that, you know, we don't disclose to the team at large, right? Maybe like some of the kind of the... the the deeper financials, you know, and things like this. But other than that, you know, it's, it's pretty transparent. Um, and then I, you know, I, I guess it's setting the example and maybe leading by example is, 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 um, is the other, right? I mean, people take cues from your demeanor, they take cues from your behavior. And if you say one thing, but do another, if you, 
preach transparency and preach, you know, honesty and, you know, candid feedback, for example, but then you turn around and punish people for bringing candid feedback, that action speaks louder than words. And, and so I think kind of living, living the values, and I, of course, I'm not perfect at it. I'm sure I've, I've made some mistakes, you know, um, where the reality diverged from uh, from theory. But you know, generally, I think that's that's what I try to do. Is obviously, you know, do what I preach, and and I think I imagine that's that's what you know that was that was another key ingredient of of, of the culture that we're building, and why why these individuals felt comfortable to to have that conversation and come to me. Thanks for pointing that out. I don't think anybody of our listeners thinks that anybody is perfect. Um, and it's and it's um, it's good to acknowledge that. As we are kind of approaching um, the end of our conversations, conversation, here are a few things that that really struck me as like the most important key takeaways, which is first of all, you built your technical expertise. You didn't just go out from school and said, okay, I'm gonna build my company. First, you you kind of worked for other people before you decided to, to found your own company. And then um, to me, it seems like a lot was dependent on your mindset and, and your kind of courage and belief in that you actually will succeed within the arena and um, in keeping with that team, it sounds like you've worked a lot um, and built different kinds of skills apart from your technical skills so that you could you could do all those things while you didn't have the sort of funds to actually build the company with you. And then you also said that um, you had to you had to kind of, come out of like the software engineer cube and you you had to build some new skills within the soft skill arena, like communications and networking and making sure that people get your points. And before all of that, you, I guess, did an introspection or kind of made sure that this is what you really wanted to do and made friends with the with the idea that you're going to do this and succeed. And now it it sounds like you are very in line with your values and so in building companies you make sure that you leave out the virtues that you preach and uh, so people can come to you and contribute to the culture and also contribute to the product that you're building. Is there anything else that you would like to add to our conversation today? Well, I think you summed it up pretty well. Although I will say, I actually sort of dabbled in entrepreneurship even when I was in, when I, even while I was going through college. Uh, so I don't think it's a given that you know you have to go and you know put in your dues, if you will, you know, and work for ten years, twenty years at a company. All right at the end of the day, it's all about. I think the most important thing is, you know, drive, it's the energy, it's, you know, it's, it's those, those qualities. And then, you know, you look and you say, well, what skills do I need to have um, to be most successful at what I'm, what I want to do, right? And 
maybe you already have them. Like, right. So go do it, you know, or maybe you say, hey, you know, I really want to get some experience in, you know, in this space, you know, maybe it's this industry or, you know, maybe it's this type of technology or maybe it's other functional areas like sales and marketing, right? I want to see how it's done, you know? And so I think these are all reasonable, uh, reasonable approaches. And, and like I, like I, I, I think you have to really think about, you know, what, what is that you want to do and what you think, what skills, what skills it's going to take to be successful. And, you know, if you need to go study up on them, you know, and get some more experience, do it. But, um, but you can't, you can't get experience for everything, right? Like at the end of the day, it all comes down to, to the energy, the drive and, and like, you got to want it most of all. Very inspiring because it, you make it sound like if you want something, you can do it, which I think is a very American trait um, as, far, as far as I'm concerned. If some of our listeners are interested in your work or in Prudly, where can they follow you? Probably the easiest thing is just connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I don't you know, even know why I'm on other social media platforms. I primarily use LinkedIn for social media. Um, so you can just search for me, Max Rudman, you know, steel brick, proudly. Yeah, I should come up. Yeah, and then, of course, you know, if you want to learn more about what Proudly is doing or, you know, if you're interested in joining the team, you know, visit us on the web at Proudly.co, not com.co. Uh, and, uh, yeah, look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us, Max. Thank you so much, Caroline. Really great to be here. Enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for having me. Had fun. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Max Redman, where we talked about his career development from IC to CEO. He's now CEO of Prodly, and we talked about how he did it. And if you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did, I hope you will leave up to a five-star review on your favorite podcast channel. With that said, I am Karolina Tot, and I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time.